Good morning. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Exodus 20. We're in the ninth commandment that shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. The ninth of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 16. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, we thank you for the Ten Commandments that we might know how we ought to live. Father, we believe that your word is inspired. It is inerrant. It is given to us for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The person of God may be thoroughly equipped. And so, Father, allow us to hear your word penetrate our hearts, apply it to us, that we might live in a manner that is honoring to you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Many consider MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, to be a particularly good school, and indeed it is. It's an excellent engineering school, the average applicant that applies to MIT has a math SAT quite north of 700. The average acceptance at MIT has a math SAT north of 775. That's pretty good out of 800, isn't it? I know most of you beat it, but that's pretty, pretty good. And until 2017, the Dean of Students was Marley Jones. She had actually been there for 28 years. But 28 years after getting hired, it was discovered that she had perpetrated a lie on her resume and had been keeping that lie alive. She claimed a college education and two advanced university degrees. And in fact, she had not graduated from college. There's nothing wrong with not graduating from college, but there's something profoundly wrong claiming three degrees that one does not have. At the time that her lie was revealed, she was traveling the United States and she was trying to promote her book, Less Stress, More Success. And in that book, she wrote this, holding integrity is sometimes very hard to do because the temptation may be to cheat or cut corners. But just remember that what goes around comes around. Meaning that life has a funny way of giving back what you put out. By all accounts, Marley Jones is a brilliant woman, a very capable woman, possibly could have gotten to the position that she got to without lying, but she lied, and it circumvented the rest of her career. I think of Coach George O'Leary. Coach George O'Leary, a football coach, started coaching in Liverpool. That was an arch rival school to where I grew up. He had an 82% winning record. 
And eventually, because of that record, he got hired on at Syracuse University. He was hired on first as a defensive coach and then as the assistant head coach. Eventually, he did so well that the Yellow Jackets, Georgia Tech, hired him on as their football coach. Now, Georgia Tech is not really a football school. But in 1990, he went 11-0-1, beat Nebraska in the Citrus Bowl and became national champion. That's incredible, especially at Georgia Tech. In 2001, he got his dream job. He was hired on as the head football coach at Notre Dame. He ended up staying five days. Because he lied on his resume, all the way back in Liverpool and his days at Syracuse and Georgia Tech, and he continued that lie all the way through being hired at Notre Dame. Somebody, a reporter, looked at his resume and found some errors. He had claimed three varsity letters playing for New Hampshire. In fact, he had never played even a down of football for New Hampshire. What is laughable to me, because it's a lie I could have seen and figured out if I had seen his resume. He claimed a master's degree at New York University Stony Brook. Well, I grew up in New York. New York University is a university. Stony Brook College is a college. There is no place called New York University Stony Brook. He took two schools and made it into one and claimed a master's degree, and nobody caught it for like 21 years. And so five days into his dream job, he was fired. But there's grace, always grace. He found a team that didn't care about integrity to hire him, the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> there's grace. And then he went on to coach the University of Florida, Central Florida. Lying is common. These individuals are remarkably talented. And they lived a lie for 28 and 21 years, respectively. And then it crashed their world. The Ten Commandments are like that, aren't they? Are? They're so personal, so intimate, so applicable to us. There's not a person in this room that hasn't lied. There probably isn't a person in this room that hasn't suffered because of a lie. I think of the most painful lie I ever uttered. There's lots of competition, but this was the most painful. I was in the first grade. I was at the bus stop, and the most popular gal at the bus stop was Nan. She was the most popular person, hands down. And Nan told us that she was allergic. And everyone said, ooh and ah, and I thought, wow. And so I said, I'm allergic. And they said, to what? Huh? I hadn't thought about that. Well, the truth is I had a lot of allergies. I was allergic to most medicine. I actually was an unvaccinated child. Uh, I'm not talking about Mr. Rogers. I really was an unvaccinated child because in those days I was allergic to most of the vaccinations, not anymore. But you didn't want to tell kids you were allergic to vaccinations. So I said, well, um, I'm allergic to chocolate. They oohed and awed. They thought that was really impressive. This cool stuff was easier than I thought. 
until my mom heard that I was allergic to chocolate. And she gave me an ultimatum. I could go back to the bus stop and tell all the kids I had lied or I would not eat chocolate until we moved out of state. First grade, second grade, third grade in California, no chocolate, what a dumb lie. In case you wanna know, I am not allergic to chocolate. I will never lie about chocolate again. What a dumb lie, all lies are dumb. To all forms of lying, Exodus 20 verse 16 says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, you might want to push back right away and say, well, your opening illustration was about lying, but the ninth commandment is actually about perjury. It's about a court of law, and you would be right. But in the wisdom of God, as we will see, God expanded the ninth commandment in other passages to include all forms of lying. But as originally given in both Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, it is immediately about perjury. You see, 3,500 years ago, in the time in which Moses lived, in the area of the Jews, the surrounding cultures taught that you were presumed guilty until proven innocent. Now, we use a different phrase, don't we? We say you are innocent until proven guilty. But now we have a cancel culture in which you're guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. But legally, we say innocent until proven guilty. But that was not true in the Middle East 3,500 years ago. And so the Lord said that it is very important that you not perjure yourself, or if you are a witness, you don't testify falsely, because in most of the surrounding areas, you only needed one witness against you, and you could be put to death. And so it made God's top 10 to say, if you are part of a trial in any way, if you are a defendant, you are a witness, you are on the stand in any way, you have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. In fact, the Bible actually went one step further. Because we are made in God's image, because we matter to God, God said that you need more than one witness to put someone into prison. And so we read passages like this in Deuteronomy 19.15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Of course, this is before DNA and all sorts of non-person evidence. But then God expanded the ninth commandment. We typically say that the Ten Commandments are found twice in the Old Testament. That's actually not accurate. It is true that it's found in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. But we have other passages that give us either part or the entirety of the Ten Commandments. Hosea does this. In Hosea chapter 4 verse 2, he's talking about the sins of the nation and he cites sins using the Ten Commandments. He says they swear, they lie, 
They murder, they steal, they commit adultery, they break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Back in Exodus 20, verse 16, it's Ayad Shakar. Ayad is witness, Shakar is false. False witness, you shall not be a false witness. But here, he changes the word to kaies, which actually means any form of false statement, any form of false contract, any form in which our integrity can be called into question. And so under the inspiration of God, when Hosea is reciting the Ten Commandments, instead of the narrow ninth command against perjury, he makes it very broad. And he says the ninth commandment is against all forms of lying. But it wasn't just Hosea who did that. Moses did that. Moses was the one up on Mount Sinai that was given the Ten Commandments. He knows the Ten Commandments, because remember, the first copy he got, he got a little angry and he shattered it. God had made those. The only piece of Scripture from the hand of God, all of it's from the mouth of God, but this was from the hand of God, he shattered it and God said, hey, I did the first copy, you do the second. And so he knows the Ten Commandments, but in Leviticus 19.11, he too expands the Ten Commandments. Listen to what he writes. Leviticus 19, 11, you shall not steal. And then he gets to the ninth commandment. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. So instead of you shall not bear false witness, he rephrases it with two phrases. Don't deal falsely with one another. Don't lie to one another. So we can rightly say that the ninth commandment applies to any form in which we lack integrity. If we lie, we give an innuendo, a type of slander, a type of gossip. We actually are silent when we should speak. All of that is a lie and it's a violation of the ninth commandment. Let me give us some of the things it includes. Big lies half-truths, white lies, polite lies, not up there, but I'll add it, political lies, exaggeration, false flattery, slander, gossip, falsification, or overstating accomplishments. That was Marley Jones and Coach George O'Leary. Purposely, purposefully misquoting and or taking a quote out of proper context. That happens all the time. Sharing hearsay as though it is fact etc. What's the big deal? What's the big deal with a little white lie, a little gray lie, a little white lie? I was with some friends and family this last week, and an extended family member was trying to convince me to give a little white lie to another family member. And they were very, very serious about it. Come on, pastor. Little white lie. I said, well, why stop with the little white lie? Let's give her a whopper this time. No, that's not exactly what I said. But it's really common. Why are lies a big deal? Let me offer a few thoughts. In a passage like Ephesians 5.1, we are told to be imitators of God. That's what we are to be. We are to imitate God. But in Titus 1.2, it says God is an unlying God. 
So you and I are never more like God than when we're telling the truth. We speak God's language when we tell the truth. We are like God when we are truth tellers. The opposite is painful but true. We are like the enemy of our souls, Satan, when we lie. I'm not making that up. Let me read from John 8. John 8, 43 and 44, it says this. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the language of Satan is a language of lies. I'm never more like God than when I tell the truth with grace. And I'm never more like Satan than when I speak his native language, which is lying. The third reason lying is such a big deal is when we get to Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, it starts out like this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to God. Now, I know you know the passage. You probably know what follows. But let me stop there. If I were to say to you, God says there are six things he hates, seven that are an abomination, I wonder what you would jot down for the seven. I wonder what I would jot down. What would be an abomination to God? Well, let's read what he actually wrote. There are six things that the Lord hates, Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, pride. A lying tongue, that makes number two. Hands that shed innocent blood, that might have made our list. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. That's kind of redundant. And one who sows discord in the church. Would that have been the seven that you and I would have written down and said, God thinks these are an abomination? Two of them are lies. One is sowing discard among the brethren and the church. Would that have made our six or seven? It made the Lord's. So why are lies bad? When we speak the truth, we are most like God. When we lie, we imitate the enemy of our soul, Satan, who is the liar and the father of all lies. God says there are six things, yea, seven. He hates and are an abomination, and two of the seven are lying. That's a bit of a surprise. And fourth, we are made in the image of God. Every one of us, even political opponents, are made in the image of God. And when we lie, we undermine and attack someone made in God's image. We attack God's own creation. God loves honesty, and he wants his people, his church, his bride, to be honest. Now, the breadth of potential dishonesty is far too wide for a short sermon, and it is short. So, 
at the risk of ignoring many types of lies, I'm just going to mention a few. The first is slander gossip. Slander gossip is saying behind someone's back what we would never say to someone's face. And the Lord feels very strongly about this. Proverbs 10, verse 18, it says this. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Now this is parallelism. The first phrase goes with the second. So the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Whoever utters slander is a fool. In other words, what he's saying is, if you and I slander, we peddle hatred, we are liars, and we're fools. That's how the parallelism works. Slanders are haters, they're fools, they're liars. Psalm 101, verse 5, it says this, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. God promises that he will bring retribution to those who slander. Leviticus 19, 16. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. I'm going to go ahead and finish the passage because it's parallelism again. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. In other words... God considers slander to be metaphorical murder in the life of someone else. So how are we doing church when it comes to slander and gossip? I suspect that many of you are doing very well and you set the bar very high, well done. But maybe for some of us, maybe all of us, there's still a few more steps we could take to guard our mouths, our lives, especially knowing that there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination. Two of those have to do with lying. One very specifically talks about slander. We need to guard our lives. And slander is not just saying what is untrue about someone else. You can actually make a statement that is very true, but you make it in such a way, or I make it in such a way, that it slanders another falsely. Let me illustrate this with a rather pedantic story. There's a first mate, and he went out for the ship with the boys, and he got drunk. First time he had ever been drunk in his life. When the captain saw him, he wrote in the log, first mate drunk tonight. When the first mate sobered up and he saw it, he said, come on, captain. I've never been drunk before. I won't get drunk again. You need to remove that from the log because the ship owners, when they read that I was drunk, they're going to fire me. And the captain said, it's a fact and I'm not changing it. A few days later, the first mate was at the helm. So he was writing in the book and he wrote in the book, Captain Sober today. <laughs> it was true. It was true. And of course, the captain objected. And the first man said, it's a fact, and what I've written is going to remain. He wrote what was true, but he wrote it in such a way that it slandered, gave false impression to someone else. That happens all the time. It happens in politics. Politics is a dirty business. Many women and men of integrity, but... If you're like me, you read very widely and you struggle to figure out 
what's actually true and what's not. That's kind of the land that we live in. That's the time that we live in. And I think what we need to do is actually read very widely, not just in circles that we agree with politically, but others, and then see where the differences in the stories are. Or if you read only the headlines in the first couple paragraphs, know that quite often the last paragraph will correct what is written above. Because they don't expect us to read it all. But they want to hide the, the real meaning in the text somewhere. We need to be discerning individuals because we live in a day of a lie. And it's easy to perpetrate and pass on those lies. What does Romans 12:1 say? It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that by the testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 4:25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. This is how you and I need to live. We need to speak the truth, but also with grace. We need both parts of that. God calls for us to be men and women of integrity. He calls for us to be business women and men of integrity. There's an interesting passage in Proverbs. It's in Proverbs 19, I think, uh, verse 1. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. What that's saying is this. In the economy of God, in the kingdom of God, in Christianity, God would prefer that you and I be poor and hold our integrity than comfortable or rich and need to get there by lying, deceiving, that's God's preference. God would rather you, me, poor and be men and women of integrity than comfortable and rich and have to shade the truth. That's God's preference for your life and for mine. That's true in business. If you're selling something you want to sell, what you're really selling, not promoted, is better than it is. You don't promote the product as superior to what is reality. You don't promise to deliver prematurely from when you can actually deliver. You and I need to be men and women of integrity. As parents and grandparents, when we take a, a child to the movie theater and the child's a little undersized, we might be tempted to say they're younger so they get in for free, but no, we don't do that. We're people of integrity. We don't cook the tax returns to get a better bottom line. We don't perpetrate lies. We are men and women of integrity. Many of you do this so well. Well done. The last lie we'll consider is the lie of silence. The Bible talks about this lie as well. The lie of silence. Let me read from Leviticus 5 verse 1. Very confusing verse. If anyone sins and that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. What that really means is this. 
If you and I are in a room and a lie is being perpetrated and we know the truth, we have an obligation before the Lord with grace to speak the truth. And that's uncomfortable because we're living in a day and age in which a lot of very painful lies are being told. And we have an obligation to speak the truth. So I'm going to mention two. We live in a day and age where people, especially young people, are told that they can pick their gender, they can pick their pronoun. It breaks my heart. I can't even imagine the pain, spiritually, emotionally, physically, that these kids are going to go through when they realize that that is a biological lie. It is a spiritual lie. It is an emotional lie. And yet it's being perpetrated. In fact, one of our finest universities this last week said that if you do not write term papers with pronouns that are chosen by an individual, you will get lower grades. One of the best universities, an Ivy League school, one in which some members of my family attended. It's a lie. Genesis 1 tells us who gets to choose gender. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. A second lie that is being perpetrated all the time is that we get to choose our sexual expression. But it took God the second chapter of Genesis to say a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The man and the woman were both naked and not ashamed. God made it very clear that sexual expression is a gift from the Lord and that it is reserved for a husband-wife marriage relationship. God doesn't do these things to rob us of joy. He doesn't do these things so that we don't get to do what we want. He does these things because they're best for us and they're for his glory. And when we're silent, the Bible says when we should speak up with grace that we actually participate in the lie. While not necessarily true of all Highlanders, I want to balance what I just said with the other side. Every so often I hear something like this. Real preaching isn't real preaching unless you condemn them, whoever them is, or you condemn that sin, whatever that sin is. I don't believe that has anything to do with real preaching. I think real preaching is working through passages of scripture or books and allowing God to pick the topics. And as I look at scripture, I become convinced as I look at the prophets and I look at Jesus and I look at Paul that they see a lot of problems outside the church. Who doesn't? But the dominating part of their preaching is to the church. They preach to the church, not outside the church. They're not going after those people or those sins. They're going after we people and our sins. 
Isn't that what the chronicler said? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear their prayer. Then I will heal their land. It's always aimed at us. That doesn't mean Jesus didn't sometimes talk about the sin of the world. It doesn't mean the prophets didn't sometimes talk about the sin of the world. They did. But they focused on me. And they focused on you. And that's a good check and balance. Because although I see those sins that are being spoken in our community and we're too silent, I also see a lot of sins within our community. And it's a lot easier to talk about them than it is to talk about us. And the Ten Commandments are really about us. They're God's word on how we ought to live. And today's word says that six things God hates. Seven are an abomination. Two of those are lying. Three others of those are sins of the tongue. Seven or five of the seven have to do with my mouth. And I've got to guard my mouth more closely. And maybe, maybe some of you do as well. I think that's what the text is calling us, to guard our mouths, to speak truth with grace, not to be silent, but to make sure that we are women and men of impeccable integrity. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I thank you for the Ten Commandments that so apply to my life, so much work yet left to be done. Help me to work well, empowered by your Spirit, to agree, confess the areas that I fail in, and to repent, to turn, empowered by your Spirit, away from my sin tendencies and towards truth. Lord, I need this. My brothers and sisters in Christ, they also need this. And so we ask that you would take the Ten Commandments and apply them rightly to us, that we might live more godly, more holy lives. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.